Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement. People who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Donna Morton. Donna is a serial entrepreneur focusing on climate change and social justice across a variety of businesses. She spent her time split between coaching entrepreneurs and building her own enterprises called Temple Spaces and the Salmon Nation, a bioregional network of change makers, developing a nature state rather than a nation state. And we'll get to talk about this today. Donna also has decades of experience in sustainability, economics, social innovation, clean energy, and ethical wealth management. She's an Ashoka, Ogunte, and Unreasonable Fellow, and a lifelong serial social entrepreneur. So with these words, setting us up for a great conversation. Welcome, Donna. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated just right off the bat from this idea of building a nature state rather than a nation state. Do you mind walking us into this context so we, you know, it, beyond the words that are fascinating, we understand um, what a nature state kind of entails? So the concept of salmon nation, um, it was actually founded by uh, Spencer Beebe, Chris Brookfield, Cheryl Chen, and Ian Gill, who came out of the EcoTrust organization. And they had this dream of building a network of change makers. The, the term within Salmon Nation is ravens, people that can see from high above and talk to each other and connect in order to sort of land the vision of this, this beautiful concept of a bioregionally centered nature state. Um, and I got invited in uh, about a year ago and went to a gathering in Sitka, Alaska with 40 phenomenal human beings, indigenous leaders, social entrepreneurs, tech innovators, cryptocurrency mavericks, healers, like it was a fantastic collection of what is described as souls on fire, people that live deeply in place, deeply in connection with both the living world and the edges of society, the sort of edge walkers, edge workers, edge innovators. And so we're trying to knit those highly dynamic souls of fire together into something that can reinvent everything. So from the collection of beautiful humans and patterns and ways of being, which includes healing, regenerative mm -hmm. practices, but also doing our own healing work, we can reinvent the economy, we can reinvent how business functions, how culture is at the center of everything. It's a, it's a very beautiful project culture at the center of everything i like that because you know the culture that we predominantly find throughout the world is a, a, an economy culture it's it's not really a culture it's it's an economic system that dominates throughout everyone's kind of uh, center point of life which maybe at some point made sense in some ways um, but now that we've gotten a lot more data points coming back to culture and well-being and you know well-being of people and planet at the center 
and then and, and also like before profit and before just the gross domestic profit we create it seems like you know it's and i've been exploring this for a while now it seems like just the very logical next step and we've seen some some countries like new zealand like like wales you know like um you know even 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 cities like amsterdam now with you know announcing that they're going to create an you know, circular model of economy for their for their citywide action. Tell us more about Salmon Nation and the way that you know it's uniquely maybe set up for being like a petri dish of experiment that maybe nations and countries can't quite yet say yes to. Well, because it's bioregional, which means it draws its boundaries not through artifice or ego, um, not in the colonization model where some group of people want to hoard <laughs> and so they grab and take. It's actually looking at what is the geology, what is the biology, what does the flora and fauna teach us about what this land wants to be and how do we respect the indigenous cultures that are 10,000 years old or more that have landed and thrived in this place? How do we have the salmon and the forests inform our thinking about economy? How do 10,000 year old cultures inform how we as humans organize ourselves? And then how do we take the innovation because salmon nation stretches as far as Silicon Valley and as high up as Alaska and the crust of the Rocky Mountains to the Pacific Ocean. How does all of that farming and ranching, indigeneity, tech innovation, and newcomers, settlers, and other immigrants, how does all of that wisdom and dynamic tension and creativity create something phenomenal that, that the world has never seen because it respects the regenerative principles of nature, the depth of culture, and the disruption and the creativity of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a, a very pragmatic, maybe anecdotal example that, that can, you know, give us like a, an insight into how that's a lived experience for people participating? Well, there's, um, there's some incredible new pieces that are emerging right now. So we do healing calls on Fridays um, as part of Salmon Nation, where we focus on our inner work as leaders, our embodied somatic relationship to individual trauma, collective trauma, so that we are healing ourselves in order to be better leaders. That's a fairly innovative slice. There's a class that's taught every Monday night by Chris Brookfield on innovation and entrepreneurship, but from a very holistic, innovative, almost appreciative inquiry framework where you notice what's good, you notice what's working instead of a problem solving sort of simplistic model for business innovation. It's much more soul stirring. It's much more, um, it's much more about seeing the, the beauty and the depth that is and adding to it, building from those places of strength. 
Um, so I feel like everything we're doing, we're doing from this, I would argue, a more integral or spiral dynamics, a more regenerative and a more indigenous reverent container. And that cultural piece is starting to inform the practicality of how we think about mobilizing capital and moving it to businesses, how we start building networks of the businesses that are in Salmon Nation so that they can better support one another. Um, we're talking about a Salmon-based cryptocurrency as one of the enabling technologies. Really interesting. That's very fascinating. I, I, I like to, you know, let culture and that I would say the desires and necessities of culture influence our next level decision making because that's what unites us as humans on this planet, right? It's like we, no yes. matter which culture we come from or which culture we're, we're embodying and practicing, which is also highly dependent on the locality of where we are. Like culture is what unites us, what connects us, what makes us diverse and unique and allows us to, to thrive in that sense. And so, yeah culture maybe not centric but culture first is, is something that, that it just feels really right and there's there's a lot of indicators pointing towards it one thing i've learned about culture is that the process of trust and trusting is really really important and so maybe let me ask you that right right off the bat here like what is required for you to trust and then in in, in kind of continuation what are you observing about trust in all these different fellowships and organizations you're a part of I think you're asking a very key question. And there's a concept that comes out of the sort of conscious business world about business and relationships happen at the speed of trust. And I think that's one of the underlying theories, you know, one of the, um, the sort of lived practices is that we're building ways so that people can trust each other better, more authentically, go deeper with one another. And that's going to be part of the enabling technology that allows entrepreneurship to flourish. Um, I think my key, my key criteria for um, trust, I think is a tandem. It's some part of, are you, are you conscious of the way your own fears impact other people? So are you on your own kind of what my partner calls a conscious journey? Do you have some awareness that your inner work dramatically affects how you operate in the world? And that's one of the pieces that I think isn't always front and center in the sustainability, in the impact, in even the regenerative world. We can still externalize. We can still focus on those broken things out there and I've learned a lot from conscious entrepreneurs um, about how important it is to do your inner work and be cognizant that if you are thoughtful about culture, if you are thoughtful about your relationship to your own fear, you have a chance of building structures and organizations and relationships where you can just be honest and direct about what's going on emotionally, what your embodied experiences um, can be overt and, and you can deal with it. If you're not conscious, you're running fear and you're running culture. <laughs> it's just going to be 
of a different sort and potentially dangerous and unsettling. And so I feel like that's been the most important part of the last kind of two or three years of my life is I've learned the hard way that if you're not living a life of consciousness and really functionally focused on love, if you're not aimed there, you're living a life of fear under the surface and that that's very dangerous and it feels like something I just don't want any part of, kind of unconscious, toxic, externalized environments. I spent a lot of time there and I moved out. <laughs> I, moved, uh, yeah. I moved more essentially into my heart and so I collect other hearts of fire capable of deep kindness. Not the mm -hmm. superficial kind, but the kindness that comes from doing your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that resonates very, very true to me personally and individually as well. And, you know, the speed of trust, that's an interesting concept because we unpack this a little bit, I think. What, what created trust in like the classic capitalist uh, ways of transactions is that, like everyone's showing up to do their own best for themselves, right? Like you're doing this to enrich you. And so that's a very, very, very simplistic way of creating trust as well. Just that we've learned through those transactions that trust isn't really that, I mean, you can only trust it that it's like creating this like business transaction. It's very plain, right? There yeah. is, there's no humanity. There's no empathy. There's no, there's no uh, taking care of each other included because that's right. just not what you've been agreeing on. Right. And so the speed of trust that you're referencing is, is like really, uh, maybe not making it a prerequisite, but really showcasing how important it is. What you said second, like this, this understanding of what is your own contribution? Where is everyone coming from, from an internal space? What are we projecting into any interaction? And then how much is it? And I think this is what's really interesting to understand deeper. Like how much is it important to voice and mention fears so that they can be collectively addressed? And then when do fears take over in a way where it's like, well, so we've talked about these fears long enough now, if you're still dealing with them on an individual level, like we can totally empathize and understand, but it looks like there's more healing work that needs to be done before we bring this continuously into our uh, sense-making, world-building, new agreement-finding kind of process. And I feel like, I feel like that's why I, I now split my time between building a conscious business with other people that really care about that, coaching entrepreneurs on how their own conscious journey and their, their culture is at the heart of their business, and then being part of this network, which is sort of the meta, um, multifaceted, large-scale sort of design work of then how do we take these individual practices and what we're doing um, in small pockets and actually build systems that can serve um, entrepreneurs, artists, activists, all of the people that are dedicated to change? How do we actually start building a firmament, uh, um, a network of networks that can really hold, support, amplify, scale, and build what Christopher Alexander calls a pattern language so that this regenerative entrepreneurship is 
is the driver of how business happens. It's not marginal, it's not edge, it's not outside. It becomes the dominant way that business happens. That's the part that's sort of fascinating for me. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's like the transition or the translation from between paradigms and between ways of doing us. You know, I think a very, um, like, is that even a word, uncharged? Like something like a, an approach that is not charged about, let's say, capitalism is to simply say, hey, systems are always evolving. Evolution is a lived process, not a, a retrospective process. Right. And so it, under that notion, like what you're describing is simply the path forward about what we've learned from the past. Yes. I have a very specific question for you. And, you know, let's see if there's an answer um, on the spot here. Because you speak about you know coaching and what what you teach, and then also like uh, splitting your time between that and building a business. And so I'd be curious, Donna, to hear from you, um, what's maybe one of your you know favorite or like um, not to go to the superlative, but like one of those coaching experiences you had where you took a personal development program or kind of like a collective program, or you went somewhere where you're like, wow, that changed my life, and I think of it often. There's a lot of them. Um, so the first one that really stands out is The Art of Leadership with Robert Gass through something called the Rockwood Leadership Institute in California. Um, so I did that probably 20 years ago and had just a very deep experience around, oh, my stuff affects my work. Oh. I have work. <laughs> I better deal with my stuff. Um, and we did holotropic breathing and forms of neurolinguistic programming. And I mean, it was a really deep, deep, you know, it was an invitation into the deep end of the pool. And Robert Gass was very masterful um, at just helping us realize that we are these psychosocial, um, sometimes traumatized beings and that that has direct impact on the work in the world. I think that was one of the most dramatic moments. Recently, I've started doing work with a man named Reiko Fabener um, and his business ally, a guy named Michael Brabant, and they're doing what they describe as trans-lineage practices that are about diversity, equity, inclusion meets uh, collective healing of trauma. It's, it's very deep. I mean, they have a, sort of an integral frame. It's beyond, I would argue, spiral dynamics because it's inclusive of indigeneity and much more deep non-Western cultural references so it's kind of integral theory meets a whole bunch of indigenous elders that have coached them on how to be in this world um and i'm i'm working with them almost weekly these days and loving it loving it we're building some things together and then i'm just on a huge learning um opportunity with each of them Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I always find this really fascinating and interesting to understand 
you know, because we're all in this like lifelong learning journey. Once once we we commit to it, we're just on on that journey. And so another question I have for you is, you know, it, it feels like you're a fellow optimist by choice. And so I want to know how that process happens in you that no matter how much you're facing reality and acknowledging um, what's not working and what's like definitely stuck on this planet, maybe still that you come out on the other side and you have energy to create change and to like go forward and choose optimism. I think the main, um, I've been very lucky. I've known since I was very young, a girl, um, that it was my work to um, make the world better for future generations. I, like I, I literally have known that my whole life. And I feel like it's been a really big gift that I've had this sort of temporal bridge between um, feeling responsible for the future and how I live today. And I've also learned to contact my ancestry and to be mindful not only of my responsibility to future generations, but my responsibility to the ancestors. Um, and that all grounds me in the desire to become a worthy elder. Um, and I'm 54 and that's a huge part of what's shaping my life now is what is it to be an elder? And I've learned from a lot of elders over time it, that it includes carrying ancestral wisdom. It's about honoring culture and um, being deep of culture and providing hope for future and future generations and that good elders inspire the children. And so that makes it in some way easy for me <laughs> to be hopeful about the future because it's all about the future. My, everything I do is about trying to make things better, saner, kinder, less traumatizing for the future. Um, and so I don't get stuck in broken things about this moment because it's not about this moment. Yeah, beautiful. I, I like what you're saying and I could see how, you know, I'm, I'm going to reflect from a few angles that my mind is able to go to right now, how some people would be like, but, but it's all about the present moment, right? And it's like, yes. And because of that, the infinite present moment allows us to understand that we're creating like a life affirming experience that then allows life for future generations to be, to be here. I, I really like how you, where you went there. I just wanted to kind of um, reflect that back into the context of our conversation here. It is about now. Like it's about now, but now informed by something deeper and wiser and now informed by something more profoundly responsible. So it's not about now gratification. It's about now. <laughs> it's about the, the depth of now, not mm -hmm. the superficiality of now. Yeah, the, that's a good one. The, the differentiation between the depth of now and then the like buzzword superficiality of it. And, and so similar maybe to like small self and higher self or like ego self and like a super organism, human awareness. Maybe we can 
have a similar kind of look at the word um, now because there's the small now, which is this instant moment where maybe I have a physical need to take care of, or maybe I, you know, like eating, or, or maybe I have a thought that is passing that I want to address. But then there's also the like the depth of now, which is all the nows and this infinite moment that we're actually living, which is okay. maybe gets really quantum and out there for people and very philosophical for some people. But really this, for me, my Western conditioned mind, um, you know, connects to the like indigenous way of thinking throughout the generations in that kind of way, where whereas like, as you said, every action has an equal encounter reaction. And so it, it will affect the generations down the line, um, even if we don't think about it. So when we include that into our thinking and sense making, a complete different way of operating starts to show up. Okay. Okay. So I'll ask this question right away because I feel like it's just in the context of our flow of conversation. And you know what, what, what's coming. Like, I love asking this question. And it's about your, um, you know, your puzzle piece to earth vision, like what you're seeing uh, as you know, in the context of seven generations, like what's the earth vision you have for this planet? What's your dream for our species and our, our planet when you take into consideration that we are here to be good ancestors for the future? I want us to, um, I want us to return to the garden. I, I want us to remember something much more ancient than the Judeo-Christian Abrahamic story that a lot of us have been living for thousands of years that says we're bad, that says we're broken, that says we're the source of evil things, particularly women. <laughs> I want us to stop living that story. And I want us to remember something that is much deeper, much more profound, that invites us through a new story to rejoin every living thing in the world. I, I think that's the, that's the power of potentially what I'm describing as this COVIDian moment. <laughs> I feel like we've been re-invited through being told to stay home, go to your room as a species, <laughs> like just stop doing things, stop making things, stop moving, stop buying, stop being a mess. And in that reality, we're coming home to, oh, but look at, there's a bird outside my window. There's a fox in my backyard. There's dolphins playing in the harbor. There's a whale that hasn't been here in 50 years. And it's like the animals and all of the creatures are coming to see where did the, where did the crazy fast monkeys go? <laughs> and won't they please come back and play? Yeah. And won't they please remember what it is to be part of the garden again? And I'm, I'm really excited because I see that consciousness accelerating right now. I hear it in the things people are talking about. People are pointing to science that says the seas can regenerate themselves in 30 years. And we're seeing in days and weeks and now months, our slowing down has caused nature to dramatically start to flourish again. And I'm, I'm really excited about that opportunity to have humans uh, go back to the garden. Joni Mitchell 
in Woodstock um, got that very right about it's time to go back to the garden. Mm -hmm. I love that. This is a very interesting, um, you know, piece you're bringing there. It reminds me of what you said about culture earlier and bioregional culture and living culture. And, and so permanent culture, so not permanent like uh, concrete, but permanent in terms of like regenerative, right? Permanent culture turns into permaculture is the garden, is the way we connect with the land through observation and then interaction and biomimicry. And, and so even though for some people that might look like a sideways step backwards, it's really a sideways step forward into, you know, the hyper localized, super planetary, uh, decentralized way our species wants to evolve into, right? Which is a step out of this like grasping, exploiting kind of hyper masculine um, form of global capitalism that, that, that we've tried for a while and that, that didn't feel too good when we, we put it on. Because as you're saying, oops. like, yeah, oops, right? I'm trying to be politically like, like, you know, like eloquent there because what I don't really enjoy, and this is just, you know, me sharing at this point, what I don't enjoy is these like, this is all fucked and this is all right and this is all wrong and this is all done. And, and, and so this like left, right, polarized um, thinking and talking is... Mm -hmm. I understand I also have a brain and my brain operates this way too. And then from that place, there is more information than the brain gives us. And so when we connect deeper, different levels of intelligence become available. And, and so that goes hand in hand with what you said about the whales and the dolphins and the birds. And like li literally, like, you know, it's like you watch my Instagram story. It's, it's like I've, I've had birds come to the window. I had colibris, hummingbirds come to the window across the park here in San Francisco where I'm currently at. And I've seen whales off the coast of San Francisco, which haven't been seen in, a, in quite a while. And so that's a narrative that hasn't been part of our, even of the change makers, the narrative that has been passed around was, huh, planet earth is, doesn't need us. It's shaking us off. It's trying to tell us that maybe it's better without humans. And I really want to challenge that. I, I, think, that's, I think that's not true. I think planet earth loves having humans around. And it, it wants us humans to learn to be part of planet Earth because we're not here to leave no carbon footprint. We're here to leave a footprint, but a footprint that is regenerative in nature and regenerative in a way that, that creates and affirms life. And, and we did for thousands of years. That's the thing. Like when I talk about what I've learned from indigenous communities and I've worked a lot with indigenous peoples, um, there is such depth and capacity to live in place. People who have lived in one place for 10,000 years without messing it up have enormous things to teach those of us from cultures that are a little more wanton and destructive and less competent at the deep. And so this is this incredible moment in history, in human history, where we are making a correction. Um, we are going back to, oh, indigenous people have something to teach and the artists have incredible things to teach. Louis Riel, who is a heretical figure in Canadian history and one of my favorite creatures in the Canadian story said, um, my people will sleep for a hundred years and when they wake up, it will be the artists that give them their spirit back. And I think that that's fundamentally true about this moment. And then in a contemporary 
time frame. This is the moment of the entrepreneur where we're realizing that it's that creative, generative, I can do, I can make, that could be different. I could bring something. Um, that impulse is beautiful. It is not destructive. That is not a wanton, destructive impulse. We have allowed the form of extractive capitalism and predatory um, investment strategies to, to, I would argue, uh, malign the beautiful, creative, healing impulse of the entrepreneur and transform it into something really ugly. And I want to take it back. I want the indigenous wisdom and the soulfulness and cultural competency of the artists. I want the awareness of the healers to inform how we do economy now. And I want it to, I want economy and entrepreneurship to function within planetary boundaries while maintaining human dignity and regenerating earth systems. And I, I, I don't think there's anything more capable of doing that at scale than entrepreneurship. Yeah, very much about entrepreneurship being one of those vehicles, right? When it, when it surrenders to a simpler and yet complexer matrix than GBT. This is kind of the, the, the paradox there. It's way simpler, yeah. but it's also complexer in the sense that it might have to be multiple parameters than just a gross domestic product. And that was the fun part. I mean, finance was really hard for me and culturally it was hideous for me. Um, but I learned a ton and we were designing financial investment products from very complex places. We said, we only want to invest in companies that live within planetary boundaries that can respect human dignity and end up being net positive for the world, which meant when you take the entire S&P, you end up with only 100 companies that live within that story. So then that's all we invested in. And we did invest in slavery or sex trafficking. We didn't invest in chemicals that cause cancer or uh, fossil fuels or mining or other toxic behaviors. We didn't invest in junk food and the diabetes phenomenon that is trashing people's bodies. So we decided we were going to invest in healing and we were going to divest from harm. And that was our investment thesis. And it's beaten the S&P. It outperforms. And particularly in this financial crisis, it's, it's still doing better than the S&P. I think it's beating it by about 4% right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so the whole concept was invest in the best companies, making the best things in the best ways, treating people as well as they can within their particular framework, because these are still publicly traded companies, and then give people a place to put their pensions or their retirement money that doesn't break their hearts, that doesn't cause them to be totally out of alignment with who they are as a spiritual being, as a whole person. And that was, that was a worthwhile undertaking. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing from that perspective too, because you know, it's, it's not easy work to, to learn on, you know, in those kind of 
groups and cultural kind of setups and, and the corporate setups that we have created and to learn to transition them and translate them out of basically their own misery. Because when we talk to anyone who's, you know, a, a billionaire or a multi hundred millionaire, uh, when it comes to their own family and their own children and their own uh, legacy and inheritance, they, they usually also like to set it up in wonderfully uh, aligned ways for themselves and their own family. And so like as a human family, this is what we're, this is why we're here. We're here to translate this into systems that work, that work for people. Yo, short intermission. This is your host, Julian, for a short announcement. Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast is currently entirely self-funded from my private coaching practice and work in the world, speaking at events and teaching breathwork, meditation, as well as facilitating leadership programs. If you're at a place in your life where you're ready to level up, step forward and be all in, then this might just be for you. Have you considered hiring a coach or is it time to find someone who deeply cares for the same evolutionary revolution on our planet? If that's the case, I'm your guy. As a transformational coach, I've worked with hundreds of people at events and in person via weekly calls over various months. I'm in service to switch on humans just like you who are on the cutting edge of some of the most progressive stuff on planet Earth. And if that's not quite you yet, but that's the dream inside of you, then even more reason to reach out. Well, whether you are a successful entrepreneur, a startup founder, or an artist, I am here to support more people to deepen their planetary purpose. I've developed highly tailored coaching programs that are based on bringing out your gift into the world because I believe in a world in which we can empower and encourage all individuals to express their unique gifts. And all right, before we get back to the episode, make sure you visit my website, greenplanet-blueplanet.com slash mentorships. Or simply find your way there by clicking work with Julian and book a free consultation with me. And if you listen to the end of the episode, I will give away a discount for listeners only. So here we go. We're returning to today's episode. For people. Part of that translation process, I believe, is education. And so Donna, I have a question about, you know, the education system at large, the lifelong learning system, maybe. Um, and so if you could single-handedly or with a group of experts change the education system and bring evolution and revolution to it what are some of the things you would be doing i mean you're asking another really good question because i am softly involved right now with the university of alberta um they're talking about building a really innovative architecture design school um and we're talking about doing something really interesting together um, that would incorporate some of what Salmon Nation is doing um, deep with a deep decolonization lens. So what is it to build buildings in a decolonized context? How does the way we colonize our mind and colonize space and colonize land, not just people, how do we recognize the ways we're embedded in those colonization structures and pull out enough that we can start building a new system um, that is a, is a liberation framework that is actually good for the world, good for people, good for um, traditional culture. Um, that's kind of a fascinating experiment. I mean, I think we're going to see massive, I mean, we're seeing the beginning of massive disruption. The fossil fuel industry, I would argue, is over. 
needed to be over a while ago, but is very over. Um, and so with that, we're going to see disruptions, not just in the energy sector, but in the utility space. And the domestic car producers have made terrible decisions, except for Tesla and one or two others. Um, and so they're going to be, uh, I think, in a terrible position. But we're going to see the rise of radically new entities. I want academia to take responsibility right now and recognize that we're in a fundamentally different century. We were late to the 21st century, yeah. but we're in it. And so it needs to be clean, green, nimble, locally responsible, respecting indigenous culture, decolonizing, regenerative, like that's what academia needs to embrace or it is over and it will be replaced by fundamentally new forms of teaching and learning that can understand the century that we're in and the new consciousness, the, in, the integral consciousness that we're moving into. We're not in modernity anymore. We're not even in post-modernity anymore. We're in a new integral worldview and a new integral way of being. And the institutions will either move there or they're done. And I know that sounds harsh, but I, I really believe it's true. Like people, entities, institutions are going to see this and move or they're not going to survive this. Um, this is the most massive disruption in human history. And we're at the very beginning of it. Um, but I think COVID is the gateway to this new reality. And on some level, there will be some, some sink or swim. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I play a role in helping people swim, swim well, swim hard, and build a future that is beautiful. Not a compromised future, not a lesser future, an extraordinary future that's worthy mm. of us, that, that lives up to the poetry of Mary Oliver, that lives up to the writing of Sherman Alexie and Toni Morrison, that's worthy of, Ale of um, James Baldwin. Like we can, we can be those humans now. Um, we, we have the elders, we have the words, we have the inspiration, and we have nature inviting us back home. It's now up to us to, to sort of grow up and evolve into, um, I think, just our extraordinary, beautiful, um, soulful potential. So beautifully and eloquently put, Donna. Let's let that sink in a bit. That may be so, you know. There's a lot yes. that's pointing towards it. There's a lot that's pointing towards it because we know uh, we cannot sustain a planet with 8 billion people living like Americans, but we can sustain a planet with 8 billion people um, in many, many different ways. We can imagine them. Some of them are already real. Some of them need to be built. And so the necessity is there. The, the pressure is there. And, and this is something I love that this came up a few times in our conversation today the invitation from nature is actually now there too, right? And the invitation from the cosmological timeline on which we're on is also there that we just had three months of people being slowed down is 
horrific in some ways because an economy is dying and some people's livelihoods are challenged. And that is the actual invitation because if our economy, I said this a few times in the last episodes, if our economy breaks down within two months, if anything that is non-essential is stopped, then we base an economy on only non-essential things or largely. And, and so that's, that's really what we've done. We've created an economy around uh, non-essential, not life-affirming um, parameters. And so that's, that's the direction forward. And I'm sure we'll have multiple conversations about this in the future with me moving back to Vancouver Island as well. Um, I'd love to end on like a, you know, like a personal insight maybe from you. And so my question at the end there for you today is, if you were to mention three places in the world that are either your favorites or you get really inspired or you, you loved it there, like what would be three places on planet Earth that you want to uh, take us to right now? Um, so Vancouver Island is one of my favorite places. Um, it's, the, it's the artist, the activist, the entrepreneur, and the indigenous fusion of that place. Um, I've lived there for 30 years and in many ways that place really made me the intact ecosystems of Vancouver Island, the diversity of people um, and the spaciousness. You know, the Rome at its height, I think was four or 500,000 people. And that's sort of the GVRD, that's, that's sort of the greater Victoria area. There's something sane about the scale of it. It's a city and it's not overwhelming nature. It's the built and good architecture in reverence for what's alive and nature's architecture. Um, then I would go to the Isle of Egg in Scotland, which is um, the world's most clean energy intensive community. It's artists and anarchists and land-based people that bought their land. They crowdsourced the buying of their island back from this actually rich German guy that was reenacting World War II scenes and had the swastika flying over the manor house and they couldn't handle him. And so they wanted to get rid of him. And so they didn't have any money. So they, through fax machines, crowdsourced $1.5 million pounds and bought their island and then put in clean energy. Wow. And they own it and they maintain it. And when you go there, you know, I had a hypothesis that energy has an energy and that if I could go to a place that was fueled by clean energy that maybe I would feel it and maybe the people would feel it and that it would somehow give them a different way of functioning. And that was proven for me at the Isle of Egg that clean energy feels abundant because it is. And clean energy owned by the people is transformational because it is. The people owning their own platform of clean energy accepting the gifts of nature as the base for their economy is a transformational act. And that's what we're all about to experience as we transition from filthy to clean energy. And it's going to be a huge liberating experience for all of us. And it needs to be, and it should be. 
and people should cry at the unveiling of solar panels. Like it's a beautiful thing. Um, and then actually, I would argue um, Sao Paulo, Brazil. I got to go to the, I got to speak at the World Permaculture Forum more than a decade ago when it was in Sao Paulo. And I got to see a favela um, with the population of Canada living in it <laughs> um, that was transforming waste streams into compost and growing food with permacultural instructors showing people how to do it. And in the course of a day, like the place was starting to transform and there were photos later on that day from places where they had done these kind of radical permaculture experiments in India and in various parts of South America, where literally you took a desert and in a few years turned it into a lush place. You took a slum that looked like you couldn't survive in it. And in a couple of years, it was a village growing its own food, building its own businesses, taking care of people with its own internal politics and its own governing structures. Like, and so I started realizing, right, it does all start with what you believe. If you believe humans can rehabilitate, regenerate, reinvent our relationship to the land, to nature, to other humans. If you believe it, it's possible. So then, yes, permaculture technology, yes, there's all kinds of important things we need to know, but the most intrinsically important thing we need to know is that we are beautiful beings made by a beautiful world and that we just have to know that and do our own inner work and our own inner practices, whether it's meditation or yoga or breathing or whatever your own embodied way of being whole is, you need to do that work first and foremost as your sacred contract with yourself and loving yourself in order to love the world, in order to realize your full potential and have the world reflect that um, at, at, at large. And that's what's in front of us right now. That's what COVID is teaching us. That's what economic collapse is teaching us. That's what pandemics are going to teach us again and again until we get it. Um, that we get this fundamentally beautiful moment to heal and help each other heal and build healing practices and healing systems. And we get to heal the world. And that's the gift of being alive right now. We get to be part of the midwifery service that heals the world and brings this new world into being. And that is an incredible privilege. And it's also, you know, a weighty responsibility. Both things are true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but it's not all shit. It's not all bad. It's not all over. It's not all crisis. We have to transcend this crisis and see it for what it is, which is a spiritual, psycho, social, political reawakening of what it is to be human and what it is to be an animal 
and what it is to be really alive. Um, and that's like, that's a thrilling, that's a thrilling realization. Indeed, it is a thrilling realization. I'm so grateful for you, you know, guiding us into that and seeing it with you. Thank you for your time, Donna. Thank you for sharing everything you shared today. Thank it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Beautiful questions, beautiful, present, deep questions. Thanks for listening. And here we are again. This is your host, Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three months program. And this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one in small coaching groups on online or in-person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships and mention the end of episode discount and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend. Mm